mean, the SPAC was supposed to be just a SPAC. What we realized was there was a hell of a lot of companies that, are, that have no place in the public markets yeah. whatsoever. Boom. Okay. Live from the New York mansion here, Nader. This yeah, is wonderful. Exactly. I love this. All the square footage you ever, ever, ever dream of. What? Okay. So what, what's the difference rent-wise, you know, going from Houston to New York? What are we, what are we talking? It's actually, this, so the cost of living in New York, it's an interesting uh, thought, thought piece here. Everyone always says it's expensive and everything's so pricey and complaining sure. and venting. It's actually not that much more expensive. You just get a lot less. You know, I play tennis over here for the same amount that you'd pay in Houston to get 40 courts that are readily available at pretty much any time of the day. Here you get maybe three courts, but it roughly costs the same on a monthly basis either to play tennis in New York City. It's just you get much less bang for your buck and obviously on the real estate side too. But your cost is, um, you know, because the reality is you probably wouldn't live in a, you know, thousand square foot place if you were in Houston or 1500 square foot place if you're in Houston. Yeah, you, you just spend you more. Be, you'd spend more, but you get more. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's how I rationalize it internally to make myself feel better at nights. You know, it's, uh, look, the rent's a, a little steeper than Oklahoma City, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you get a lot, yeah, you get a great bang for buck value there. Okay, so you, you missed, uh, you missed <clears throat> me this year, which is, uh, you it's know, like, I find now. that a little disheartening. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're a real energy transition guy now. Uh, so did you have any FOMO at all uh, on missing Nape, or are you at a stage where it doesn't matter? No, I'd love to, you know, more Vini ties, the better. I know I, I, I give, I give respect to the, uh, there's you know, no the tie group. this year, by the way, there was no, uh, oh, you don't want to make this sponsor, but there was a, there was a belt situation. They gave away belts. <clears throat> Unfortunately, I waited too long. All the belts were gone, which is like first time I've seen too late. souvenir disappear, you know, before the end of the party. You so. stayed at the K&E party too long, probably. We'll just no, that was there. after that was after, that was they, after. Did the, they did the standard, you know, Vini first mild overlap with the Kirkland party. And uh, the Kirkland party had cowboy hats this year. That's what they had. That is pretty nice. Well, I did miss. had last year. I did miss Nape. Um, I did make it out last year, but uh, you know we're in the middle of uh, of getting our deal closed. So it's been you know we've got to keep the priorities straight, Raj. You know we yep. can't uh, can't do everything in life. We're just we're a I team mean, of two at SGen, so we uh, you know we don't have the the, the benefits of a uh, you know. An admin or a uh, executive assistant to help with, uh, you know, planning my NAEP schedule, unfortunately. Well, I appreciate the fact that you are partially subsidizing, you know, you and your it's various true. sponsors. I'll be, you know, you're partially subsidizing these NAEP parties for me to attend where I generate no fees anyway. So, you know, like it is what it is. That's very true. Good. Yeah. All those vendors will be very happy come March uh, when we close that stream. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Okay. Well. <clears throat> Well, that's awesome. Well, uh, you definitely moved on to the energy transition side now. So, okay, let's uh, let's get into it a little bit story wise. You grew up uh, you grew up in Houston. The only time you were out of Houston is uh, you went to school in California, where it sounds like you have a lot of family, and uh, came back, started investment banking. Sounds like oil and gas uh, focus, sort of in that that shale early shale era. And then you hopped on to sort of be on the private equity side and then moved on to the Portco side. And uh, let's walk through that. So that was a big shift change. Was there a goal where you wanted to do that? Or was it, uh, you, you know, like if you look back on it, you, you wanted to stay on the, on, the, on the private equity side? What was the, what was the thought? 
Yeah, it's a it's a it's a piece that I think about, <clears throat> you know, more often than than I probably should to be healthy. But um, you know, I I, so I was at Morgan Stanley, and it wasn't just oil and gas. It was technically, you know, there was some renewables that was getting done oh. right with the Global Power and Utilities Group with GPUS. So twenty twelve, twenty ten, twenty ten, twenty eleven, um, or twenty ten to twenty twelve was was that was my time there. But they, yeah, there was collaboration with the power side. There was collaboration with infrastructure, mm -hmm. so I'd say. But I mean, all the you know the hype and the the craze was oil and gas, right? That was the beginning of the shale right. renaissance, and um, you know the Bakken shale had just been. Yeah, I think it was uh, who was it? Brigham had just you know released some high IPs, and then everyone started to you know begin a land grab um, in the Wilston Basin, and and Stadel came in and bought everybody out, and it was a. Uh, mm -hmm. It was the beginning of that. So, <clears throat> yeah, I spent a lot of my time on the upstream side, but it was a lot of midstream as well and a lot of power. Um, and then, you know, the way I thought about, you know, staying in private equity versus, you know, going the operating route was was really at the time what I noticed, at least in the upstream space, which is where I was spending most of my time post-banking, was, you know, a lot of the sponsors were chasing the same deals. Mm -hmm. And... Everyone was really bidding on the same packages, you know, name your Jeffries package or looking for the same acreage, you know, utilizing the same broker that your landman had access to. So I was like, well, where do you have a better competitive advantage to actually generate outsized returns? Is it going to be at the sponsor side or is it going to be at the operator side? So that I was thinking, you know, if you can just kind of situate yourself with a high quality team, mm -hmm. management team you should technically have better odds to generate outsized returns. Even if it's, you know, even if it's a 1% advantage in the long run, you're better off being, you know, at an operating crow that's effectively commoditized business, right? It's not a technology business where you're forming one idea that has a binary outcome. So that was really the trigger um, was to kind of get out. And also there was a lot of my peers were, were going down the PE route, no disrespect to them, but you know, it was a very similar language that they all spoke. and. It was a very conventional path that I just I just said you know said there could be a lot of ways to make more money here at the operating route. Um, so that was the that was the impetus, and then joined Ursa Resources um, after their first exit, which was a denim-backed company, and you know was with that team um, for probably eight or nine years with uh, through Ursa and through Bruin, and ultimately sold the business to Enterplus. So it was a long run, built uh, both companies from the ground up. You know it was five or six of us to start, and we ended up. Um, you know, at the peak, probably close to 100 employees, three or four different field offices, deployed billion dollars plus of capital, outgrew our private equity sponsors. We had a bunch of fun um, Kuwaiti and Chinese interest, you know, members on our board. And it was, um, you know, it was a large private company that right. uh, in a normal in a normal industry where there was demand for what we did, we would have been a public company. Right. right? Um, we just happened to be in this unusual melting ice cube oil and gas industry where no one knows what to do with you and yeah. um, you know we are, we are where we are <clears throat> well so it's kind of fascinating to think about your view was I'll generate a better set of returns going on the management team side which is true like if if you sort of <clears throat> knock it out of the park from a management team or founder perspective uh, you'll you'll you know, you, you can retire off of that the inverse of that is your floor is way lower Right, which is like the average management team does not have that same set of odds, whereas the average yep. fund, uh, you like it, you know, the returns are gonna be better because you just have you have a big portfolio that's diversified, right? Uh, yeah, no, totally. That's why I was saying, I mean, if yeah, if you're if you can align yourself with that, you know, 
with the teams that actually can deliver, yeah. then I think you're better off, right? It's like, are you, yeah. if you can get into that community, then um, you should be better off. And if in you theory, have enough I mean, shots like, and goals, that will yeah. work. The, the tough part is, we've seen it, where there's a series of management teams that have generated a bunch of returns, knocked out of the park, you know, and there's a certain iteration where they just get completely smoked. Yeah. And you can sort of, like, dissect why that is, whether that's, like, you know, like, generally speaking, it's some, like, over-leverage issue, right? Like, we over-levered it, we drilled it too much, you know, yeah. commodity prices collapse, there's no liquidity, you know, we, we got we to gotta restructure this whole deal. Um, the assets don't go anywhere, but, you know, the equity got smoked. Yeah. Uh, the equity got smoked. So, in some ways, I think, you know, <clears throat> do you still think that's true? Like, uh, do you still think... No, because I mean, you can't you can't lever these assets up anymore. Yeah, that's the difference. I mean, it's these assets are priced for you know priced to to be owned for the long term. Now, yeah. I think, and mm -hmm. I don't know. I haven't really been following as much, you know, the equivalent of the, the next Tuscaloosa Marine Shale play. I don't know if there is one. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's called the Tuscaloosa Marine Shale. It's called TMS yeah. now. Not there you go. We don't yeah. need to so, say the whole name. You just yeah. say TMS. TMS. Yeah, TMS. I don't know if people still, you know, use that acronym. It's been a while. But they, um, yeah, I mean, these assets are priced now, I think, where there is limited debt capacity. There's limited capital that wants to enter the debt stack, which is where, you know, groups like, I know, like, you know, that provide kind of more special sitch yep. capital are, are being very successful. Like, like, And we all know who, the, who those are, but folks that are kind of playing in that credit <clears throat> angle that can offer Unitronch and, R, you know, effectively RBL replacement capital, they've done remarkably well. Their, their name structure is a cube. Yeah. Yep, yep. It's actually, it's funny you mentioned TMS. I remember uh, some PE interviews in like, man, it must have been 2014. I think Apollo had done some TMS uh, drill co, if you recall. I think it was with... That's true. Um, was it with Goodrich? It was with somebody. Um, I think and, it was with Goodrich. And, uh, like, another fund was like, hey, like, break this down. Would you recommend us doing this deal or not? Uh, and I remember, like, I spent, you know, like, a countless number of nights putting together a model and this and that. And I think my, like, response was like, yeah, let's do it. Uh, generally speaking, that is uh, my personality, right? Like, okay, let's do it. Like, what, what's the worst thing that's going to happen here? We got downside cap. Uh, which, like, I think, uh, the, you know, the fund will remain nameless. Uh, my suspicion is they were like... <coughs> No, this guy is not meant to be at the fun level. I think the response to that was like, let me put you in touch with a couple of our portcos, though, uh, because <laughs> we think your personality is going to be better suited there. Yeah, the, the uh, yeah, let's do it personality. The yeah, the let's do it yeah. personality is the portco personality, right? And then yeah. uh, the fund manager is sort of a game of whack-a-mole to knock it down. Okay, that's, uh, yeah, like that, that's where we're at. Okay, so let's talk. Uh, Bruin, obviously, uh, sort of exit. Uh, in 2021, yeah, um, at sort of in some ways like some version of the bottom of the cycle uh, from an exit perspective. Um, it was the beginning of what we are in the cycle, Raj. You got to get right. it right. We at least, you know, crude was probably inching towards 60, which at the time was, uh, yeah, I guess you can call it the bottom of the cycle. But it was a at least it was <clears throat> it was beginning its upward trajectory. Right. Um, so Interplus takes it down. Right. That was a that was a fairly insider process uh, post restructuring, right? Uh, yeah. Or, um, we, we, we did hire banks. We had two banks that are running the process. We had RBC and JP Morgan. Bimo, I, think. I, I forget who. But, um, okay, so, so that asset goes out. 
you're free and clear from Bruin. You know, what, what happens next? Yeah, so I, you know, we sold Bruin. I was in the upstream game for seven or eight years and, or longer, eight or nine years. And um, I, I tend to forget 2020. The, um, you know, for me, it was, it was, you know, where I want to spend my time. It was a, it was a good exit for, for the management team. And it was really kind of how, yeah. how do I want to spend my time, you know, for the, for the longevity of my career, right? And where I was thinking about was, you know, where is the velocity of capital going? Where is the velocity of IQ going? Um, and is there a place where I can situate my skill set, right, and reposition that with a related sector um, yep. to, you know, that has growth, right? I think for me, it was what, what sector has growth where, you know, you have a product that could scale easily, or at least if not easily, you could align yourself with a team to yep. be able to scale it in a way where you could truly generate, um, you know, highly outsized returns, right? So oil and gas is great. I think it's just, you know, it's, it's a commodity business that's growing at GDP roughly, right? right? So it's the growth had occurred in the U.S. and the reality is it's still occurring, right? Everyone keeps yep. saying we've, we've hit peak production, but every year we're still growing by half a million girls a day. Um, <clears throat> gas is just not growing at uh, the Kagers that we were used to seeing in the heyday, right? Where That's right. You know, that, and, and that's what, you know, that's where the money flows and that's where you have a piece of building a business, right? Like it's much easier to build something in theory where you have a tailwind, right? Like I'm building something in a market that's just growing eight or 10% year over year. In theory, you know, no matter what we do, this should compound some return. That's right. Yeah. And I think, you know, for me, it was, you know, my background's in finance, right? So it's, I need to align myself where I need to be close to the capital, right? Ultimately yeah. to be able to, <clears throat> to be in a position to do something, right? And, you know, what I saw and speaking, I probably took four or five months off, <clears throat> spoke to a lot of investors, kind of mid-sized investors, large cap investors, VC investors that introduced, you know, the whole theme of climate tech. Mm -hmm. And, you know, no one was really chasing oil and gas, not because they didn't want to. At that yeah. point, there was a lot of fatigue, both on the investor side and on, and on me personally. But it was just, I think people wanted something different. There was so much capital destruction that there was still kind of the early days of capital discipline, right, from upstream and midstream coast. So people were looking for something different. And the reality is the world was changing, right, yeah. under all of, our, all of our feet. I mean, the, the world was changing and it has changed today. Um, yeah, so I just said, hey, let's give this a shot. It was the, what you, the mentality that you had in the TMS, you know, why not? Let's just do it. Um, so I ended up <clears throat> partnering with a former colleague of mine, who I worked with back at Morgan Stanley, um, and we, uh, you know, when when SGEM was formed, it's probably May 2021. Started drafting the S1, um, did our IPO, um, industrial decarbonization SPAC, which was the uh, you know the uh, the theme of the 2021, I guess, for a lot of energy transition funds or energy funds turning into energy transition funds. So we launched SGEM in the fall of uh, 2021. Was the SPAC the original like concept of getting in, or was it sort of a, a twofold, like, hey, we'll look at stuff on the growth equity side uh, plus SPAC, or how did you think about that difference? So there, at that at that moment, if you recall, like there really wasn't much private equity entering. I'd say energy transition. No, that was a all there was venture. This, yeah. yeah, it was all venture, highly saturated. You know, you saw all these new, you know, I think it was Chris Saka that raised lower yeah. carbon overnight, yeah. right, with kind of the California fires in the background. And, Three days or whatever it was. Yeah, raised 800 million, you know, 15 phone calls. So that, it was the, it was that, that part of the cycle, right? So right. 
there really wasn't much private equity. If anything, there was maybe, you know, sprinkles of growth equity. Um, but no, I mean, the SPAC was supposed to be just a SPAC. What we realized was there was a hell of a lot of companies that, are, that have no place in the public markets yeah. whatsoever. Um, but the public but markets they, didn't think that at that moment, right? At that no, moment, there was a disconnect. The entire ecosystem was a disconnect. thought these companies should be public companies. It's okay. Uh, yeah, well, think about it. I mean, the average SPAC had 300 million, 200, probably 200 million in trust, and the average redemptions on those on those T-SPACs was probably 15%, 20%. Yeah, which is not. It was the cheapest right? like form of, cheapest yeah. and most efficient way to raise 200 million bucks for a PowerPoint yep. presentation business plan. Yeah. And, well, um, and now 99% uh, of those companies are effectively zombie co's, right? Because they're <clears> worth less than what they've raised. Yeah, they're worth, they've worth, they're worth less than what they've raised, and they never should have gone public in the first place. And, yeah. you know, they're, they're, they are where they are. I think, um, you know, what we told our investors on the roadshow was we're going to bring a profitable company that's not a flying taxi, it's not a science project, that's a business that's easy to understand that you can model on a piece of, you know, a napkin. Um, and it turns out that's very tough, right, to yeah. find a LTM generated, EBITDA generating business in energy transition that the, that the public could actually understand. So yeah. that's what we told our investors and we spent the entirety of 2022, we met with 400 companies across grid storage, across low carbon fuels, across um, circular economy, energy efficiency, you name it. And, you know, we couldn't find anything that really met that criteria. And it turns out 2022 is not a great year to tell any CEO, hey, it's a great time to go public. Trust us. We're going to, you know, bring you all this capital and, we're gonna, you know, you can just ride into the sunset and it's going to be a great, um, you know, a great debut. It was very tough. So we ended up you know, the, the SPAC vehicle effectively became, in some ways, a BD vehicle for for private opportunities, where we were able to, you know, successfully deploy capital into two opportunities there, you know, late 22 and into 23, before announcing our merger with Thunergy, which ended up meeting our criteria, being a profitable resi solar um, installation sales and finance company. So it was it was a long long route to get to where we were, and it was not uh, prescripted. I think it was one of these squiggly lines where you kind of move forward go way back and then ultimately hopefully you're just going up into the right but there was there was a lot of um you know there was a lot of trepidation throughout that process so 2022 you meet 400 uh, companies which is like sort of, uh of that 400 where would you bucket them now right like what what percentage of them are going to make it or have already sort of uh you know like run out of capital or had to do some version of restructuring what like what happens here yeah, we, so, you know, we met with, we, we took a shotgun approach. It was a combination of utilizing our proprietary relationships yeah. that we had, but also every bank under the sun, you know, yeah, was looking they, for a fee. Yeah, they've got a list and they're public. And, but it was probably the lowest quality of bank pipeline deals that, like, I've seen in my career. Like, lower quality than TMS even. I mean, like, it was, we're going to keep going back to the TMS throughout this whole, this whole podcast. <laughs> I don't want to be noticed the TMS guy. Okay. But you know, like I think the, the takeaway here, right, is if you sort of think about it, the guys who are left on the list were the ones who weren't able to get on the boat when, you know, like you, you guys sort of started at the tail end of the SPAC mania. Correct. You know, like the early part of the SPAC mania, that's when the right time was to get on the boat. And Correct. whoever you're seeing on this list couldn't get it done then, right? So by definition, it's going to be almost impossible to get. Most, most of these companies should fail um, right. that we that we met with because the reality is VCs tapped out, right? Yeah. They, they made their bets that you, you know, that you can't have your fifth bet in the same sector, 
right? Even though VC is supposed to have zeros, and that's how you get paid, and that's how, you know that's why your LPs are investing in what you're doing. Yeah. You just it just there's this, there was this way too much supply as even as much capital as there was. Um, most of those companies won't supply it won't survive, I and mean, we've seen that. These companies have come back around saying, hey, what are you up to? There's ways to work together, you know. And the, the reality is their teams are not strong enough, which was a huge theme in energy transition that we saw. I mean, I miss the days of oil and gas management teams. And we had at Bruin and Ursa, we were, we were truly a public ready team. We could have gone out, you know, we could have been institutionally, uh, you know, approachable at really any moment in our life cycle. That doesn't exist in energy transition. Very rarely does it exist in energy transition. Do you think that's because there's too much folk? Like, what, <clears throat> is, there, is there an offset <clears throat> argument to that, right? Like, so is it, uh, you know, like, we're, we're used to in oil and gas being institutionally ready because you have to raise so much capital out the gate. Yeah. And that is generally from funds that require certain elements of, uh, uh, you know, sort of readiness. Professional, yeah, you got to be professional. Professional, right? Do, do you see something within those teams though that is superior? Like, is there just a prowess on the technical side, or is there something <coughs> where there is a focus of something that is superior, or are you just like, no, generally speaking, like we're just not seeing quality? Um, I, obviously, there was something to, to get these companies to where they were, right? Yeah. They had a contract with you know an S and P five hundred, um, you know, Fortune five hundred business that they had never had in, in their entire career, right? They were dealing with mom and pops or they were dealing with, you know, just multiple pitches a day to try to, you know, get customers to just sign up, not just retain, but just sign up, whatever their service was. Energy as a service, you know, some hydrogen, green hydrogen deal or, um, you know, some biofuel SAF plant that they're trying to construct. I mean, these were all ideas that they're not that technically innovative, but yeah. The, the market, they were either too early for the market or when they were starting, you know, they were too late based on when they could have raised capital because they just tried to ride, ride, you know, ride, ride a wave and they were too late to the game. Regardless yeah. of the reason, the teams were just not, they're not, they're not the same caliber that we're used to from the upstream, yeah. you know, midstream energy, energy, you know, traditional energy themes. And I think uh, the ones that have been successful in energy transition, they do have A plus teams. And you're yeah. seeing it and they're able to justify higher valuations because of that, yeah. because investors are saying, hey, you know, it's probably rich, but I have 15 other opportunities where teams are just not, they don't have what we're looking for and they don't have what's necessary to scale and they don't have what's necessary to lock in long-term commercial agreements. They don't have the, the ability to have a true back office, you know, to provide financials on a quarterly basis and have monthly closes that kind of are just what we're yeah. used to. So, you know, F it. We'll overpay a little bit for this one, but we're, we're betting on the team to be able to grow into that value, earn into that valuation and actually deliver, right? And some of them have worked, is what we're seeing the last few years. Teams are really important. It's sort of a counterintuitive point, which is uh, <clears throat> you're saying the average management team on the oil and gas side is probably a lot more rock star than the average management team on energy transition. And even then, now that we've consolidated, right? Like now you're at a point where there's only so many management teams left on the oil and gas side. It's you can make the argument pronounced. that the top decile on the oil and gas side versus the That's top survived. decile on the transition side is almost light years different, right? Like uh, yeah. in terms of, I mean, know, definitely. I, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't say top decile, but I mean, say, you know, seventy fifth percentile. There's a huge difference, median, astronomical difference. But top I mean, top decile. You, know, you start decile, to look, yeah. yeah, I think it's, yeah. it's equivalent on both sides.
Okay, so uh, you and I have to go start a fund here, 2024, uh, looking at transition relay opportunities. We've had uh, some debates ad nauseum on uh, r like risk reward. Uh, I feel like a lot of this stuff has asymmetric, you know, like very limited asymmetric upside and a lot of downside risk. What do you think we go chase where it fits the, you know, what, what, what is our tried and true more private equity style return versus, you know, venture return? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we, we have a lot of conversations about this one. Um, but what we've seen at the S-Gen side and the Regen side, which is our, you know, our private vehicle, there's a, there's a, there's a ton of companies that I think could benefit from having a control style investor yeah. really just mitigate the fundraising process that sure. is effectively a six month operation for these founders. Every year. And yeah, it's every year because you're always fundraising it's, it's, when it's you're in these businesses. It's 80% of your time at least and probably 80% of your mental energy. And they're always trying to find, you know, hire a CFO or bring on a CEO, you know, head of strategy or someone to help with that. But ultimately, no investor is going to want to talk to them. Every investor is going to want to talk to the CEO. It's going to take a ton of bandwidth and you ultimately lose, you know, time that could otherwise be spent on your business, hopefully scaling your business, right? Yeah. If it's a, if it's a true growth equity, you know, way past the VC, um, you know, life cycle. So like, I see a huge opportunity in that of kind of, you know, control like or controlling um, larger tickets, you know, true, mm -hmm. I'd say private equity in nature, but, but really partner minded, right? So yeah, working with these teams and maybe some similar ways to where like the VCs yep. were doing so, but like even, even then, I mean, how effective was having 10 VCs and some minority round a series B or C where they're going to own 20 or 30% of the business, maybe, you know, one new board member, but how effective is that capital structure? Like what advice are you getting? What, what, um, what level of attention are you getting from the five to 10 different funds in your group? Each one of them were apparently great partners, right? But yeah. every one of them is in a different state of, you know, their own fund life. They all have different incentives from each other. One's trying to exit in this year, one's trying to raise a new fund that year. So I think, yeah. I think founders are seeing that and management teams are seeing that there are synergies with just having one partner. Here's 50 to hundred million bucks. We'll give you some credit for your business today and we'll grow with you in the form of a commitment, whether it's M&A, right, buy and build, or whether it's Greenfield, whatever whatever the strategy may be. Um, and that back end that you get <clears throat> on that capital, I've done the math a few times, it's actually not dissimilar yeah. from raising yeah. five successful venture rounds. You're yeah. gonna end up owning 20% of your business anyway. So just take a 20% back end and just call it a day. I, so look, I appreciate you know Nader's trying to make uh, private equity great again. You know, sort of yeah. you transition from yeah. private equity uh, great again, which I which I appreciate because you know you've got some uh, like maybe maybe a lot of people haven't seen you, and if they're not watching like sort of the YouTube or the Spotify, you know Nader has a uh, he's a very tall Persian Genesequa, you know, coming out here trying to make private equity great again. But you know, like the counter here, right, is the barrier to entry to get that PE control check is much higher. You know, like yeah. for that same reason we talked about, right? Like you don't want to back the, the average management team, <clears throat> the average management team on the transition side could go raise a couple million bucks in venture. That's your seed check to go start, 
you're sort of getting after it. That's the equivalent of the two or three year GNA commitment, right? And so there is, you know, like there, by definition, you're going to have some difference there in terms of. Now, if the best have a choice, there's a, there's a couple different distinctions here. One is non control capital, right? Uh, you know, which I think is probably the biggest difference. Uh, but I think there's some element to business plans where you're right. Like, I think we've talked about this a little bit, which is, um, and I hate to say this, is nature-based. Like, if you want to go do a nature-based project today, I almost think the right path uh, of you and I is actually go talk to a handful of really high-quality private equity funds, raise control equity capital across the board. Um, you know, it's a commitment deal on day one. And then go talk to the big, big 25 public companies about being an off-taker at, you know, sort of a price that generates private equity returns, right? Like that, that's sort of the math. Uh, the same could be true, let's say, in like a geothermal, which is like very similar. And, I, you know, for the life of me, I'm shocked <laughs> that energy private equity has not yet done. You know, they probably will. Um, but I can't think of very many other categories where that concept of like, here's a small amount of GNA uh, for a two-year GNA deal. And if we're right, we'll go spend hundreds of millions of dollars in yeah. generally in the ground with limited downside risk, or you know, we'll just part ways, right? That's sort of the bottom I, I think, no, I think there was, but I think there was many more, there's clearly more than just those two sectors, right? I think right. It, it's applying either a combination of a platform approach, right, which is what you just described, right? And yeah, there are probably limited instances of a platform company, right? I mean, RNG is an obvious one. Yeah. Um, where you're actually, you know, true greenfield development, right? right. Um, hydrogen doesn't seem to be kind of capable to do that right now. Um, we'll I don't, see did you see the years, uh, Did you but... see the announcement about the uh, natural hydrogen <clears throat> deal that Coloma raised like two hundred fifty million dollars? Uh, yeah, drilling, drilling for yeah for geo hydrogen, I guess we'll call it. Um, which I know, I mean, you know, Samvita has a good, uh, we talked about this too. I mean, Samvita has their gold hydrogen play. And By the way, you missed Samvita. I don't think it's dissimilar. I know, I missed it. Moji's going to, Moji's never going to forgive me. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, but uh, I've been there. I was there in spirit. Uh, I hope he had the same, the same Persian food cuisine. Did he? He did. And I took your advice because uh, you said like everyone ate that and then fell asleep or uh, yeah. you know, started getting sleepy. And so since I was moderating the panel, like whatever, at you know, shortly after lunch, I was like, dude, I'm not going to eat anything yet. Uh, otherwise, uh, you know, low energy uh, moderator, that's, you know, that, that's guaranteed to never be invited again. So. Yeah, but I don't think you can ever be low energy, Raj. You know, you have a <laughs> bundle of energy. Um, <laughs> But anyways, back to what I was saying, I think there are more industries where a platform approach could work, yeah. but, you know, roll-ups are still interesting. It doesn't have to be in, you know, it could be traditional businesses that have an energy grow, energy transition growth wedge, right? It could yeah. be an EPC business. It could be a waste management business. It could be um, a maintenance business, right? A, com a company that just provides a service to provide, you know, to make sure that, hey, these renewable fuels are actually renewable fuels and they right. meet spec and they meet regulatory thresholds that then justify the credits that are going there as well. That business might have been doing the exact same thing for diesel and fuel oil, right? right. And low sulfur, high sulfur, uh, you know, bunker fuel, right? They, they've just repurposed, repurposed an entire business plan that's been working for two, you know, multiple decades to low carbon fuels, right? But that's actually, not a yeah, that's not a new innovative technology, yeah. but it's a business that's that's 
investable today that already has some cash, you know, clearly kind of more stable, old school cash flows, we'll call it, but a huge growth wedge. That's a more fascinating business concept, right? Because in our industry, oil, <coughs> you know, like if you think uh, OFS, the assumption is like, dude, there's just no margin. Horrible business, cyclic, you know, uh, yeah. you know no one wants to be in the OFS you know, business. No one wants to be in the OFS private equity business. Okay. Yeah. Here, though, there is a contention to be made because there's standard growth, because it's less cyclical, let's say, and there's expansion opportunity, which like the private equity fund can actually create real value in, right? Which is Correct. like, here's your business today. This is a, uh, like, you know, rightfully or wrongfully, this is a mismanaged gem, right? You've done a good job of building a business. We can pour capital in here, expand the lines of business, and all of a sudden, one plus one equals four, right? Yep. Um, and uh, you're seeing more of that, it sounds like. Yeah, 100%. And you're seeing deals get done at reasonable valuations where there is actually a path to create value for both the investors and the teams, yeah. whether, whatever the strategy may be. And it's a lot of those sectors that I just described. They're not, let's go start a green hydrogen dev sure. right? Where you're depending on five credits to get your project off the ground and, you know, a large strategic to take an outsized bet on offtake, right? When, when yeah. they don't have to, besides the fact that it's green. So think I think there's ways to make money right now, more so than there was a year ago. And people are more right, like they've right-sized their, their balance sheets, they've right-sized their expectations to be able to get these types of deals done. Are you seeing a lot of these as like legacy family businesses or, you know, call yeah, it totally. businesses, guys ready to retire, you know, yeah. much more amenable to doing a deal uh, at a reasonable valuation? Yeah, we're definitely seeing that. And then we're also seeing you know, deals that have just a convoluted capital structure. There's my, there's might've been like three or four investors over the last 15 years. And, you know, no one really provided true growth capital, but the business today has, you know, let's say waste to fuel a uh, new business line where there's an offtake for some concrete manufacturer or concrete um, asphalt company that's saying, Hey, come inject biocarbon into my concrete. I'll give you a fixed price. I want this much volume it smells and looks and it feels like a take or pay, right? <clears throat> and that could justify then that company to actually go and build out whatever that facility is for mm -hmm. that customer, right? And that's growth capital, right? And there, but there's already an existing business that supports that that kind of growth wedge, I'd say. And there's probably debt financing that's also available. There's, there, you can get very creative with the opportunities like that, but we're seeing more of those. But th those types of, you know, Opportunities are not necessarily being pitched by banks, right? They're much more bespoke. They're, yeah, you got to have very creative sourcing, right? Whether and whatever your, your tactics are, I think that's what you have to depend on. It, I mean, we've talked about this. It feels like to try to generate a return in this category, you're kind of playing the game on hard mode. Like there may yeah. be opportunities around, but they're not, uh, you know, it's not like shooting fish in a barrel or something. No, I think... Uh, but again, I think it's easier now than it was. I mean, hard mode was 2022 when like every company's valuations and expectations were so high, right? We, we had one demo plan after a successful pilot. You know, we have 10 plants in the pipeline. We want a billion dollar valuation and give us $200 million of growth capital. Like those days are done, right? Well, 2022 um, is not that far from the peak, right? And so you're still in this like anchored to the <clears> peak valuation. Maybe you come off of it 50%. That's not enough. Like no, no, no. Still not yeah. enough, right? Like you, if yeah. you were inflated 10x, you had to come down tremendously. 
and sort of go yeah. through. And now there's sort of last year might have been the sobriety period. Uh, oh, 100%. And, and this year things are getting done, right? The bid-ask spreads. It's, it's similar to what we saw in Upstream. Like nothing was getting – every banker was coming into our office at Bruin between 2018 and 2020 saying it's the year of consolidation. It's going to happen. You know, you guys need to stand up a real business, drill real wells, deliver cash flow, pay back your investors on a yield base, all that jazz that everyone now is saying. Now Bankers were, sing, were singing that tune for a long time. They knew it was inevitable to happen. It was inevitable. But, yeah. but you know, it was four or five years too early. Now it's happening at some rapid pace. Right. Um, but the bid-ask spread ultimately collapsed, right? And now you're probably not seeing that to that to the degree you're seeing in oil and gas. But there's a huge consolidation play in utility-scale solar developers and behind, you know, CNI, um, either front of the meter or behind the meter uh you know, solar developers on um, on the Resi Solar. I mean, there's so yep. much, and there's probably, you know, been 100 bankruptcies, there's probably going to be 10,000 more. Unlike oil and gas, these companies are not worth saving, right? They're, they're, they don't have any real assets. You just liquidate so, like, yeah. Yeah, you liquidate, they're done, you never hear about them again. But there are those sales, you know, those, the, the, the networks that those dealers were penetrating are now up for grabs, right? Because those, those dealer networks are just falling off a cliff. So yeah, yeah. there is a lot of opportunity right now to consolidate and with people that have, you know, reasonable valuation expectations where you can actually generate returns. And once the cycle comes back, i.e. when the 10 year treasury maybe drops to whatever, three and a half, then you'll start to see, yeah, like no, that, yeah. but you'll start to see a scenario where like, oh, that, they were really smart. Look, you have a bunch of venture back businesses and you know, you know, the case in venture, which is like. You, there's really not much of a difference between a venture investor generating a 2x or a, a goose egg, right? Because they're they're there trying to chase, you know, 10x, uh, 20x, 30x plus return. Yep. Do you think there's an opportunity to go roll up any sort of climate tech <coughs> that's venture backed, the founders long in the tooth? Maybe they took some secondary out. I mean, I think there's a bunch of zombicos out there. Is there a roll-up strategy there that you think venture investors and founders may be amenable to, which is superior than just like, hey, we're just going to shut this thing down, right? Um, yeah. I mean, I think there's probably way too many carbon offset marketplaces, right? There's probably way too many, especially on the nature-based side. There's limited yeah. industrial credits, but there's so many nature-based credits. There's so many companies that were using drones to identify, you know, how much carbon this tree sequestered in the Amazon. I can I forget the names now, but there was probably five or ten companies doing the exact There's same more thing. platforms servicing the developers than there are developers, right? Then there are buyers. And there yeah, are buyers. buyers. Yeah. So yeah. I mean that's that's a I'm not sure consolidation even makes sense necessarily because because the buyer pool for credits is just, you know, is just disintegrating. That's one sector like methane emissions, I remember that every 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 VC company has an investment in methane emissions, right? Like how, whether it's a drone, whether it's a some monitoring technology, yeah, yeah. a sensor you put there, and in your and you're calculating methane emissions, whether it's from a coal plant or from a long gas field, et cetera. But there's too many of those companies out there um, to justify, you know, that many GNA budgets. Mm -hmm. That's that's probably more amenable to you know to carbon offsets, I'd say today. Yeah. Um, what well, else a real on the VC there. side? Yeah. There's there's carbon accounting, right? Yep. Um, let me say, Watershed get their big deal done 
but there are that was, you know it was the, wild to see that value. yeah hey, look uh you know hats off they've done very well i don't know the metrics but uh when i saw the raise i was like whoa this is this is big uh this is yeah big. and they're and they're clearly a, a leader right they're a market leader but there are a lot of companies that tried to do what they persephone and others are doing and they yeah, should and I think be the ones that are well i mean look there's uh, there's only a handful that are sort of like you can list them off and then yeah. there's a long tail right like for for all the ones we know, there's 150 others that are uh, smaller, trying to get after it, uh, same market. It's just yep. like, and then the th as another another sector is long duration storage. I mean, every VC company invested in a you know, whether it's Form Group 14, Silo Nanotechnologies, all those kind of you know, not proven today, but ultimately one or two of them should be proven. Yeah, like replacement for long duration storage in a very impactful way. I mean, ultimately, it doesn't make sense to have that many of them, right? Like, yeah. I, I can't imagine there's going to be five technologies that are all market leaders and all winners. Yeah. So, um, okay. So there's definitely opportunity there on the VC side. It's, it's just not for it's not what I'm pursuing personally, right? But there's definitely, you know, Chris Saka's next, uh, you know, next th three hour call, he can just do a roll up. Roll up fund, lower lower carbon uh, roll up fund. Okay, so we got we got to go. Right, well. Yeah, we got to call Chris and talk to him about this uh, roll up fund. So what? Are, yeah, you you got to call Chris. What you are we bring doing? Him on. You know, like you come on the founder side for <laughs> for a moment again. You know, come do God's work. Uh, what are what are we chasing? So on the founder side. Um, well, uh, let me frame it this way: one on the uh, on the transition side. You know, what what would you go chase, and then. You know, we'll we'll cover oil and gas in a second. Then we'll probably call it. I mean, I, I'm probably speaking my own book here, but I do think this is a you know structural low in residential solar um, in the U.S. Right? Yeah. Like I think it's unclear what business model will prevail. Like is it the German business model or it's the you know the American business model around how these panels are sold? But there's a lot of pain. But the reality is. I mean, that sector is five or six percent penetrated in the U.S., yeah. right? You know what? You know exactly what direction power prices are going. It's up yeah. to the right, um, and I just think it's an easy business to get into. That if yeah. you have some levels of sophistication to be able to understand financing, understand yeah. how to scale, understand different geographies and what <clears throat> those geographies offer, right? From an incentive standpoint, from a credit standpoint, from a metering standpoint. Um, I think it's a huge opportunity right now to get in by, by acquiring one or two or three of these super distressed installers, right? That have, you know, historically maybe 50 million in revenue that you can probably buy them for, for extremely discounted price. Right. And so restructure the business and try to grow it as, as quickly as humanly possible. Yeah. I think that's, that's really the name of the game, but I think a lot of these companies historically didn't make money. Right, because yeah. they were mismanaged, they were very inefficient. Now, power prices have gone up, equipment prices have come down. It's just an easy, it's an easy business for someone to get into. I wouldn't say it's like a. There's definitely risks with it around. Yeah. Um, you know, are you going to be squeezed out? So it's it's a, it's a land grab. You got to go big, or you got to go home. But it's also there is, uh, a permissionless business, relatively in in transition, right? hundred percent. Yeah. It's, you know, you don't need very many approvals to make this work, which is the no probably the biggest list of why we say no on a lot of the other business plans, right? Is, Hey, 
we need permission from these 20 people. We still don't know whether or not we're going to get it. And then, you know, the bingo card comes up with some other reason why the project won't work, which is, again, yep. wholly out of your control. That's not the case here. Right? I, I think a, a business that, that is harder to get into that if done right, you need more expertise for this. But it's power procurement for you know, that's backing, you know, this AI renaissance that we're, we're now in. So there's like right? priority power for AI data centers type. Sure. Yeah. I mean, priority power has done a remarkable job, yeah. right? Um, but there are many other businesses that you hear about in that sector, right? Um, that are, I don't know how well or, or not well they're doing, but they're not tapping into, at least I'm not hearing about them tapping into kind of more industrial, um, you know, industrial warehouse or, um, data centers or EV fleet charging, right? I mean, like move, a lot right? of these 20, 25 year old, 25 year PPA, probably maybe yep. worst case 10 year and uh, extreme pressure for that to be renewable power in some form or fashion. The catalyst is we think power prices are going to go up into the right. Why not lock that down? Well, and those, those landlords and those tenants are, can pay so much for power. It's like Bitcoin mining on steroids, right? It's yeah. And the, there's so the much penalty, margin in the business. There's so much and the margin. penalties for not procuring power are astronomically high, right? So all of a sudden, an, an SMR might make sense, right? Or yep. you know, a bunch of battery packs on site um, that are not diesel, right? Uh, might make sense. But um, but those are interesting businesses, right? And just think about medium and heavy duty fleets, yeah. right? In five or ten years from now, whether it's Europe or the U.S. You know, a lot of these fleet operators are electrifying, um, and if they're if they're not electrifying, they're going to start at least that process, right? Yep. Um, and they're all concerned about charging. They're all think they're all concerned about like just like replacing tires, right? It's a proven model now how fleet operators replace tires, right? We like we've we've partnered invested mm -hmm. with that company, Aperia, that's done that very well. Let's mitigate that entire tire management as a surface concept for fleet operators. EV charging is definitely equally a concern. Maybe not today because they don't have a huge electrical fleet yet, but yeah. that is a real business. It's a huge power procurement business where you can generate spreads, right? Mm -hmm. The cost of charging your batteries off peak and then bringing back to FedEx or UPS or whoever. Um, and at that point, you know, those guys have to charge their trucks, right? They've already bought, they've already invested so much CapEx in that entire kind of infrastructure downstream that they have to get those things continuously moving. Yeah, they're and, already and, all in there, right? So they know, have to, what's yeah. it, what's it take to, get and, but they don't want to get into that business. Owning and operating an EV fleet charging, not, not passenger vehicle, but fleet charging. It's not a, it's a very specialized business, similar to tire procurement, right? You need to know, yeah. you need to know the grid. You need to know how batteries work. You need to know how to charge when to charge. There's a huge software component. There's a huge logistical component. Um, but there's a ton of growth. It's just, it's sitting right in front of us. Right. Um, that could be an interesting platform concept as well. I'd say just and, think, and, uh, suited for, uh, for the private equity. Yeah, yeah it could be. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Right. I mean, like the underlying is still real estate <clears throat> in some form or fashion and then capital yeah. and you should get your money back on. So, yeah. And you have a, you have a contract from a, you know, a very well-known fleet yeah. provider or it's care, not you know. suited. I don't think that's a venture venture business, right? That that's, that's no, more that's more sort of wheelhouse. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. Uh, are we, we up on time? You're running. I think so. Yeah. I think okay. we're going to run.
Let's do this. Uh, if you're so, what what are we uh, pumping here? You a founder looking for growth equity check, uh, looking looking for a great private equity partner to to help make their business great. Uh, Call Nodder. What's the best way to reach you? Yeah, I think uh, if your business needs scaling. Um, you know, call Nodder, I guess. But the, yeah, so LinkedIn, email, just call Raj. Raj is the best way to contact wow, me. That's he, a, you, find, you find a way. You find a way. This is how I get the deal fee, baby. This is, uh, yeah, yeah, this yeah is, exactly. This is move, baby. <laughs> there you go. Well, I'm glad. No, this is awesome. This has been great. Awesome, man. All right. Take it easy. All right, man. Have a good one. Cheers. Bye. 